What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe, located in inner southeast Portland. This spot offers free music on a weekly basis as well as other monthly events. Every Sunday from noon to 2, you can catch DJs spinning vinyl and local beat makers curating tunes to go along with their delicious cocktails and brunch menu. They've got this banging breakfast sandwich, and aside from the free tunes and the weekend brunch, they've also got a solid lunch and dinner menu throughout the week. And now that it's fall and winter is approaching, Produce Row has their patio covered and heated throughout these rainy months. So if you're feeling stuck inside, this is a great place to come catch some tunes, grab some drinks, and eat some food. Link for Produce Row Cafe will be in the episode notes. Now let's start the episode. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, which I know you do, you can uh, go ahead and hit like, follow, subscribe on Apple, on the old iTunes, and uh, take a few minutes to leave a quick review. It doesn't take much time at all. You don't have to say too much. Maybe shout out the episode that turned you on to the cast. And uh, those reviews are so important in helping with getting more visibility for the show. It helps strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. I appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so, whether you're a longtime listener, you just found out about the cast today, or you're a past guest of the show, any of uh, those reviews really help. And um, if you don't want to 
help in that way you can just share the podcast with somebody tell somebody about it or leave a comment on a social media post to help penetrate the the algorithms that we're all up against any of those things are are super helpful as well and uh especially if you're not listening on apple and you're listening on spotify or something or one of the other platforms that that carry the show and and you can't leave a review necessarily so um with that said there's some monthly playlists also available that i've been putting out every first of the month pretty spread out genre wise uh snapshot into some of the stuff making into my dj sets or, or just things that i am listening to regularly featuring uh, a lot of music from guests of the podcast obviously and those are available on apple and spotify the links for them are in the episode notes hope everybody is doing well out there i'm stoked to get into episode 336 of this thing ross charlin portland based musician multi-instrumentalist and songwriter he fronts a band called Caragold and plays in, in some other projects that we'll talk about in this episode he's on the podcast this week um, stoked to share this one. It was rad to finally get Ross on the podcast. I've been rubbing shoulders with this dude for the last four or five years or so, and we've never really had an opportunity to connect or hang outside of running into each other at shows and whatnot. So I'm glad we got to hang and chat on the mics about his music background and getting the Kerrygold project off the ground and how the dynamics have changed since starting the band some years back and, and a lot of other things with in this chat so if you're in the Portland area I would encourage you to check out Caragold and all the bands mentioned in this episode which all have some crossover with the project and if you're listening to this near release day you can catch Caragold this Saturday December 3rd over at the Fixin 2 in North Portland and then January 25th they're playing at Holocene with Babers and homie of the cast Shy Honey you can find the self-titled Kerrygold record on all the streaming services. This episode will feature tracks from that, and all the links for Kerrygold will be in the episode notes as well. One big calendar date before we jump into my conversation with Ross. On December 15th, I'm throwing my fifth annual Dan Cable Presents Holidays Party. It's at Mississippi Pizza. It's only $10. And it's from 8 to 10.30. Former guest of the podcast and DJ extraordinaire Vanport will be playing a DJ set to get the night going. And then the Frank Irwin Quintet, one of my favorite bands in town, will close out the evening. So come through for that December 15th. Would love to pack out Mississippi Pizza that night. And... Last note, this past Sunday was the final day of free regular music going on over at Produce Row Cafe. I want to thank them for giving me the opportunity to help plug in a bunch of artists with gigs over there for the last year and a half or so and for their sponsorship of the cast they will still be hosting some of their big dance parties and hopefully will resume the free music program next year but they're still open on the regular for lunch and dinner and brunch on the weekend so thank you to produce row for your support of the cast and that's all my ramblings let's do this thing let's get into episode 336 Caragold 
on the podcast. If you're new to the show, go back, check out some previous episodes in conversation with artists and industry folks of all genres. Appreciate you tuning in. We're going to kick off the episode with one of my favorite tracks from the self-titled Kerrygold record. It's called Your Last Stop. Let's do the damn thing. Let's just let's just jump into this thing. That sounds, you know, seems like we're we're diving into some territory that is uh, maybe uh, important to this conversation of, of how things have gotten off the ground for you here in Portland as far as uh, music scene stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, excited to to chat with you about Caragold, which is your project and self-titled record dropped not too long ago. But I think my first times crossing paths with you must have been through those willows yep seems about right but Mm -hmm. also we were just talking off mic about vanny hands and i remember seeing you at the library at growlers right playing the vanny hands Mm -hmm. which was i don't know yeah i must have caught at least a show there of that band playing there once or twice when when the library was in existence so yeah you booked uh, our first you actually booked Caragold's first show at the library yeah and then also Vanny Hand's first uh Portland show I believe and my first show for with sure them. did yeah. the Caragold one happen or was that one of the ones that got canceled like towards the end it did happen okay yeah all right um I thought so 
I want to say it was like fall 2018. Okay. Yeah, we got two shows in, uh, or maybe three. Our last show was at the Doug Fur in January before COVID hit. And yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah, I remember there was there was like a few shows mm-hmm. right before. It seemed like you were just kind of like digging into the project before yep. the pandemic happened. But I also know that Kerrygold is like kind of an accident or maybe like a project you weren't necessarily intending to start. Is that right? So totally, um, definitely want to get to like the point where that happens, but talk to me about like, let's build towards that a little bit and talk to me about like your music background or like just your, your entry point into music, whether it's like your early memories of music having like a big impact on you or just like, your entry point into to playing? Sure. I was always obsessed with music from a young age, but I never quite had, well, I never felt like I had the ability to actually do it. But growing up, I made mixtapes. Um, I listened to a lot of hip hop and through like, I mean, I was like the Kazaa, LimeWire, Napster <laughs> generation. So found a lot of like, rock and roll through there. Um, and my friends listened to a lot of hip hop, but it wasn't until college that I actually started trying to play. I played piano a little bit. I played trumpet a little bit, but quit. Just like, uh, school, school stuff. jazz band kind of stuff. Pretty much. Um, I was a soccer player growing up and that was kind of like my focus until I got to college and I didn't have to do that anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a lot of friends who played um, guitar that I lived with and they kind of showed me the blues essentially. And that's once I kind of learned like, oh, the blues is just three chords and I just have to learn one scale and then can just start on that path. It was like such a good entry point into learning just like the basics or the fundamentals. So I started playing guitar when I was 18 and then just got completely obsessed with it and just started going down the rabbit hole of blues players essentially. And when you were, uh, like when you were playing soccer, were you kind of the, the person on the team that was like passing around these mix CDs that you were making or like curating the music that was like being played, uh, like for the pregame and and stuff like that. Dude, you absolutely nailed it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I was, um, they let me put together the pregame, uh, warmup mixes. And so I would make a new mix for every, um, game, which was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. For sure. That, that was then like, I know you're doing some DJing now. So that, that was kind of like maybe your, your early entry into like, totally, you know, creating a vibe. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, and that, yeah, that's so funny. You bring that up. I had not, I had completely forgotten that that happened. Yeah. And then in college too, like, I, you know, it was kind of like passing the ox cord around or whatever. Um, my friends and I like to do that as well. So we always kind of, I essentially just got really lucky the hallway that I lived in in college that freshman year we were all just obsessed with music and so I learned a lot from a lot of my friends 
Um, because I would say like my knowledge of music going into college was like hip hop, uh, Dave Matthews band and ACDC, like Def Leppard. And then my parents loved like the Bee Gees and like 70s soul music, but I didn't know too much indie music, um, which is funny because that's like been the world I've lived in and creating music now (laughs) it's funny it works how it works out that way did you appreciate what your parents were into when you were a kid yeah my mom loved michael jackson and my mom and dad loved to go out and dance um in the 70s so i always i just loved disco beats and i know they kind of like go in and out of fashion which i find funny um but it's definitely something that with my music, I always want it to be a little dancey. Yeah. I, I would have no, like I, I had no idea how, how much I would enjoy disco music like mm-hmm. later in my life. Sure. And it's yeah. like, especially in regards to what you and I were talking about off mic, as far as DJing and forming, like what we're listening to more mm-hmm. regularly too. It's totally. just like, so much disco influence on the dancey like even house stuff or like soul music that's yeah being played regularly yeah people need that like heartbeat you know that constant rhythm to keep it going you know you can't you can't make it too complex or else it just doesn't become dancey anymore yeah. then it becomes a listening experience which is also cool yeah um but i think my mom really loving like earth wind and fire and bgs and playing those michael jackson playing all those records it's subconsciously in me when i'm making stuff that like the groove is the first thing in my head yeah for sure and i think that like definitely comes across in the Caragold project for sure like as because there's i don't know there's these very like dreamy and spacey moments and even moments that like lean like psych rock on the record. But then Mm -hmm. on the way over here, I was listening to too drunk and like, that's like such a great example of the dancey upbeat, like fun elements that are displayed in the record as well. Totally. Yeah. That song in particular, me and the drummer, my drummer at the time, Matt Andrews, we loved the song Can't Keep Checking My Phone by Unknown Moral Orchestra. And I would say that band is one of my biggest influences for the Kerrigold project. But that I, I had made an electronic version of Too Drunk and I showed it to him and he was like, this is the one that we can make sound like that. And so we manipulated the arrangement to have that disco thing at the hook, which is which I was really happy about at the end.
obviously it sounds like you know once you got to college your mind was opened up to way more music and a bunch of different genres but like the eclectic nature of like what is maybe heard in the Kerrygold record has it seems like it's also been there from the beginning as far as like listening to like what your parents dug and mm-hmm. then listening to all this hip-hop and then you know mm-hmm. this classic rock elements so totally you've always like kept it pretty spread out even though it was maybe narrow in its own way yeah i um i would say i i don't discriminate towards any style of music especially the more i write even if there's a song that might not like touch me emotionally i can still appreciate now i not not all it hadn't been that way all the time but i can at least like pick out and appreciate like certain elements of a song so i I'm always trying to listen to different types of music. Like we're working on our second record right now. And one experiment I'm trying to do with the band because the first record was mostly me for a while. And then the band, we started the band. But this time I pick like five like songs from different genres or whatever of maybe a certain era or like a vibe I'm going for. And while we set up, I make everyone listen to those songs. And then once those songs are done we jam and see what we come up with from that yeah how has that gone like do you think it's been effective in kind of just informing everybody what your vision is or like what you're aiming for vibe wise for everybody to kind of like connect on this thing even if they maybe don't necessarily like love the track they can at least (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know figure out what you're aiming for yeah, I think the way I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to think about this project not so much as a songwriter anymore, but as a producer, especially because half of the band has changed. There's four of us, but um, Stevie, our drummer, came in like a year and a half ago, and Jason came in in January of this year. Um, so it's like two completely different voices and two different backgrounds. And so what I'm trying to do is find songs where the four of us, Stevie, Jason, Colin, who plays bass and myself, um, would all agree upon as a vibe that we all would like to live in. And so it's kind of like just picking those, um, trying to curate a list of, or a group of songs where we're all vibing the whole time and then we can express ourselves in that agreed upon vibe um, versus me like coming in with all of the parts and just pointing my finger and telling people what to do. Cause it's like well, the Kerrygold records specifically, everyone kind of allowed everyone's voice to shine and not get in the way of it. And that's, I think why it sounds so all over the place but then it's also its own thing too which i was really proud of with the with the album yeah it definitely you know i was thinking about that on the way here to speaking to like how eclectic it is but it also feel like feels like it all lives in the same world you know it doesn't feel too all over the place but also doesn't feel monotonous i guess yeah totally i think there's some records that i really love that you put it on 
and it's the same vibe the whole time. And that's like cleaning music or cooking music where I just want to be in this world. But I also like records that kind of challenge yourself or challenge your ear a little bit where it's like, whoa, I did not see that song coming. It's coming from left field a little bit just to kind of maybe keep a listener more engaged. Yeah, I think that's where you get like it has some impact as far as the the sequencing because you you know we talked about too drunk but the track before that is head in the clouds yeah so you have like this opportunity to like fall into this very dreamy world you know and it's like very appropriately titled mm-hmm. <laughs> the head in the clouds thing totally. so you know you're in that dream and then making that shift to too drunk which mm-hmm. is just like you know the the party song yes exactly <laughs> right <laughs> kind of saying yeah it's okay showed you some things in college did you feel like you took to it pretty quickly or was there like a frustrating learning curve for you uh very frustrating i was not natural at all and my friends have been doing it since they were young which made it even more frustrating intimidating too (laughs) (laughs) yeah um well and it was also like they weren't classically trained obviously um they were just like they just jammed with their friends. So it was hard for them to teach me stuff. And that's like something that I still like. Jason is a really good example. He's like, in my opinion, one of the best guitar players in Portland. He's like this gem that I don't know if he's appreciated enough yet. And maybe that's just because we haven't gotten his project Fanny Hands off the ground yet. But like he'll rip the solo that. It's just I unfathomable to me how he just comes off. He comes up with it. But then when I tell him to play like a, a G, he's like, he looks at me like, what? Where is that? <laughs> and it's like. Incredible. How, you know, but then I show it to him and it's fine. But like, that's just because that's just how he learned growing up listening to records. It was, and I did the exact opposite approach, I think, because I started so late where like in order for me to develop my ear, I needed music theory as a crutch to get me to be like, oh, that's what this is. Yeah. And then I can hear it. But if you start young enough, I think, and you're just listening to records, then it just becomes this natural thing where I'm definitely more of an engineer when it comes to that. And my day job, I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, Go back and forth between part-time and full-time to support my music addiction. (laughs) But um, I definitely take a a more engineered approach to everything. And I had to learn theory in order to learn how to play guitar. Um, 
but I'm very jealous of even like Jack Wells from those willows, same exact sort of thing. And Jack played on the, the first Caragold record. He was part of the original band. He's, you know, he doesn't really know what he's doing, but that's why it sounds so incredible because he's been doing it for so long and it's just pure expression, pure his voice, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of like innocence there and there's not all of those, maybe, you know, that theory looming in your head about like what is the right thing to do necessarily. Yes. And that's, um, now that I know theory and all of those tools, that's, it's like this, the cliche thing. It's like, you have to learn all that to forget it. And that's a constant battle I, I have, but I think I'm getting better at it now where just when I'm writing, not to think about the chord structure, but to think about where the melody should go next. Yeah. And where were you, uh, where'd you grow up and where'd you go to college? I grew up in the suburbs of Washington, DC, okay. in Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia, and, uh, went to school at James Madison university in the Shenandoah Valley. So what, uh, what brought you to Portland and like, what was your entry point into like getting involved in the community? Um, I didn't want to live in DC. The, um, it's pretty much like most people that work there work for the government or a government contractor. Yeah. And it's a very rigid sort of, this is what you do. This is how life should be sort of thing. And growing up there was, was awesome. Um, but I just wanted to live somewhere more eclectic. And I graduated school and got a job offer to come to Portland. Never been here before. And it's just like, screw it. 22. Why not? And then, um, it was just meeting friends of friends. Um, some friends worked for Adidas and those friends knew people who went to Portland state university for music. And so my entry point into the scene was kind of hanging out with, those people and jamming with those people and going to see shows with those people and then starting to form my own bands, you know, I would say like two or three years into moving here. Yeah. This is pretty important to you though. You were like definitely like seeking out those like local shows and not just going to see like the big headliners that were coming through town on tour. I think it took me a while to realize the importance of going to local shows it took me that was one thing i was like now looking back on it it's hilarious because like frustrated like the first like three or four years of living here it's like why don't i have a music community and it's like well you're just going to see shows at wonder yeah yeah or or the crystal ballroom (laughs) you're just going to see the bands that you already love and like right yeah are not connected to the local scene in any way (laughs) yeah exactly but it was like through jamming essentially just like doing these like open jams at houses and stuff like that. Um, it was when I slowly started meeting people, but the way my music community like really took off is when I started this thing called Dilly Fest. Um, this like local music fest. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but essentially, uh, this guy, Doug Dilly, I used to work with, um, when I first lived in Portland, had a beach house in Long Beach. What year are we talking about? Um, 
when I was working with him, this was like 2011, 2012. Okay. So yeah, like 10 years ago. Okay. Crazy. Gosh. But he would have a party every summer and one year, like 2015, maybe he was like, you want, would you want to perform at it? Like just do music for this party. And he would just invite his friends, coworkers, whatever. Um, I was like, sure. So I brought a couple of my buddies, brought a PA and just like played like a cover set and uh, some original tunes. And then the next year, and we played on his deck. That was the stage. So like this deck, fire pit, and like an area for probably like, I don't know, maybe like a couple hundred people. Uh, and then the next year he said... <laughs> The next year, he's like, well, why don't you bring, like, a couple more bands so we can have music longer? I was like, all right. So um, I think I brought, like, uh, invited my uh, Clulu, and I think I invited some people in that circle. They did a Presidents of the United States uh, cover set, and they were not not the presidents <laughs> of the United States. <laughs> and then my band at the time, Three Sigma, and then another one of my buddies' bands called WNBA Jam. Um, this <laughs> punk. <laughs> no, that's incredible. It's literally yeah. the best name ever. Dude, that's amazing. Also, Kalulu. Yeah. Just, I don't know. That's probably one of those local bands that, like, I will remember forever. Like, if, if there's ever a moment to like do some Portland historian music scene shit, like that's one of those, those live shows that you like never forget. <laughs> Dude, totally. And I was, I was lucky enough to just kind of, I was never that close, um, with those guys, but we definitely were like rubbing shoulders and we're acquaintances and stuff like that. And they were my, they were my favorite fantasy live at that time i mean if they were still playing and probably still yeah <laughs> they're so fun <laughs> and just um, incredibly talented um but there were like bands before Caragold that you were fronting or projects you were kind of like fucking with yeah um i had some blues bands essentially like f a bunch of bands that just like never got off the ground which is kind of how it goes um the one that got closest to getting off the ground was this band called Three Sigma. And we released like one song, like one, and that was like kind of like dance funk, um, very four on the floor disco stuff. Um, but we broke up before we recorded anything. So we, I played in that band, wrote songs and wrote all the music for that for a couple of years, um, until we broke up. But that was the only, that was the project that I got closest to actually like, cause we actually started playing shows and we're pretty active in the scene here for like a year or two. And were you, uh, like as soon as you got past, like maybe the frustrating part of learning to play guitar, was there always this, uh, this need on your part to like want to write your own songs instead of just like learning covers it was, that come pretty quickly. It was more so no one was asking me to play in their bands cause I was just a guitar player Yeah, and I would say like my skills at guitar, like not extraordinary. Like I would say like Jason's, uh, Jason's 
uh, ability is. So I was like, kind of like quickly realized like, okay, if I want to like participate in the scene here, I need to write my own stuff and then attract people to that. And once I started doing that, um, it became a lot easier to break into the scene. Yeah. So like once you were playing some shows out and about, is that how you like eventually get linked up with, with Jack and Mel from those willows and find yourself in that band? Um, (laughs) that one was crazy. Um, well, I took a, I took a year off, I saved up some money and I took a year off work. Um, what is this? 2018, 2017. I don't know. Pre COVID. It's like so hard to know what the time frames are, <laughs> but yeah, I met Jack through Guero. Um, one of the greatest restaurants in this, in Portland, in my opinion, not, not just great people working over there. Like mm-hmm. I, when people come to town, I try to take them to Guero. I love that place. Oh, I agree. We used to live with the bar manager, um, Ben Skiba. Um, Guero is like a second home. And like we were talking about before, um, there's a music scene around that restaurant that is just absolutely hilarious to me. And it's so like organic too. Like I met Jason, um, who works at Guero through Guero. I met Jack who works, um, started playing with those willows through Guero. But the way I started playing in those willows was, um, so I was taking this year off and I was essentially like going to write, I just wanted to write songs for a year and just like see how that felt just because I felt like I didn't have enough time to just let my mind like wander and be creative. So I wanted to give myself the ability to just kind of like freely float. Like what would it be like just being an artist for a year where I could just like travel and write and do whatever I want. So it was in that year I had like just, just quit. Um, well, not quick, because I'm still working for that company today. They take very good care of me. They're great people. Energy 350, shout out. Um, but it was during that time, and one week before they were going to go on a European tour, Kyle, their bass player, um, he got in a motorcycle accident and broke both of his legs and couldn't go on the tour. And so Jack... I had never played with him before. We had met each other like two or three months prior. Called me and was like, hey, could, do you want to go on tour with us and play bass? I was like, in Europe? Uh, Yeah, that sounds fun. When are we leaving? And he's like, "Uh, we're leaving in like nine days. Do you think you can learn all the parts? So that was my entry point, which was wild. What was your experience of playing bass up until that point? Um, just playing like I played bass in some of the bands that never got off the ground where me and my buddy, uh, Keith, Keith Bloom, um, we would switch back and forth. Okay. Um, so I could play like blues bass, but like never played like folksy melodic bass before. So I I literally just locked myself in my room for like five days and then we had two rehearsals and then we went to Europe. (laughs) It was wild. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But when we got back, Kyle was uh, 
he he started healing up, and once he healed up, then um, he just went back to playing bass for them. But they asked me to to play lead guitar for them like six or eight months later because we just got along so well. For sure. And uh, did that? Do you feel like being a part of that band and also doing the Vanny Hands stuff, like being more of a role player? in those bands opposed to being the front person like has informed the way you operate as a band leader a lot in Kerrygold and also just like what you want to bring to that project when you do have the opportunity to be that front person. Yeah, totally. Um, I would say I love doing both for sure. Probably equally. I don't need, I feel like I'm still learning how to be a front man and like exude that confidence that that requires. Um, but especially playing in those willows and then Jack playing Kerrigold, there is kind of this understanding where we would just allow each other to write our parts and um, express ourselves through each other's songs. And once I saw how successful that was, if you're with the right people, that's how I just operate now. So Kerrigold from the first record to the second record is, I don't even know if it's going to sound like the same thing. Um, and that's just because of how we're operating now where I just want everyone to, we're just finding our center point of what the vibe will be. Yeah. But definitely playing in other bands and allowing other bands to have, let me do that kind of switches it around for Kerrigold now too. Yeah. And it also sounds like you did so much more of the writing for that, for the self-titled record on your own opposed to like actually with the band with the newer stuff that you're doing. Yeah. The right now that we're writing together as a band at least the grooves and then I'll go back here in this room and write the lyrics and kind of finalize an arrangement. And then like we have rehearsal tonight, we're going to go finish a song that we started from that we did a couple weeks ago. Um, the first Kerrigold record was definitely like a isolated thing. Like when I took that year off of work, um, I had access to, uh, that cabin at where we would host Dilly Fest that ended up just becoming this like thing that became too unmanageable that we had to stop doing at his house. The last year we did it, I think we had 15 bands, two DJs and, um, like a full on like light show, like laser light show on this guy's deck. It's <laughs> hilarious. Just a ridiculous amount of people showing up too. I would, I would assume when you have 15 bands. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it was like donation based. So we never knew it sold tickets or anything, but I think the last year we did, it was like 300 or 400 <laughs> people, maybe like just word of That's mouth. Awesome. It was wild. <laughs> awesome. And also not awesome. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Not awesome for, um, Doug's wife, for sure. <laughs> she was, I did everything I could to to appease her because I felt really bad that we were doing it there. But Doug loved it enough, and I think she did too, secretly. Yeah. Because she's like creating this like beautiful um, DIY like community. Like they would buy five hundred oysters, and 
grow them up. It was fun. But so I had access to that cabin, which was really fun to go back to when it was just totally quiet and by yeah. myself versus like knowing other times where we would have a festival there. And then I had access to this cabin in Glenwood, Washington, um, overlooking Mount Adams. And it was on the edge of a wildlife refuge. So literally it was like this A-frame cabin, huge windows, and then wildlife refuge and then the mountain. Um, and I was able to use that space like four or five times in the span of a year. So like sometimes it was in the summer, sometimes it was in the winter, but it was in the middle of nowhere. So like there's no Wi-Fi, nothing. Um, and that's kind of like, I wasn't planning on starting a band, but you know, I just took that year off cause I wanted to get better at writing songs. Yeah. So that's where you wrote down, down, down. Uh, down, down, down was written at Doug's house okay. at the Dilly Cabin. That was the first song. Um, yeah, and then lyrically, you know, it was, that was those were the first words that came to my my head. It was just kind of like, I'm done. I can do what I want. <laughs> like literally, like so direct. And I think about it now. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it came out as just this like driving rock song essentially like just reaching your breaking point which where I was at and then having this release of changing it up and then feeling good about it Hey everybody, I just wanted to take a minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall of over 200 bottles. The fall and winter months are upon us and North 45 has a rotating cocktail menu to keep you warm throughout the rainy and cold season. The rosemary garlic fries are my go-to item on the food menu. The fry sauce is absolutely lights out and their kitchen staff is always getting creative with daily food specials. Aside from it being a great neighborhood bar for food and drinks, they've got one of the best patios in the city, which is heated and covered. The patio has a ton of TVs, so you can watch all your favorite sports. And on Sundays from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., they've got local DJs spinning jams, curating the music, both on the patio and inside the bar. So come through for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. I know it sounds like you're you're really like getting to the center of what the Kerrygold project is now, but even when you wrote down down down, did it feel like you were putting out something that was like more sure of itself or something that like felt different than what you had maybe like written in the past with some of those other projects that that didn't quite get off the ground 
I think um, I didn't think of it as terms of in terms of like this is the style. This is where I want it to go. It was more so that year. I just wanted to be creative and not get in my own way of saying like this is what I want this to be. So like, and I think that's why the record's kind of all over the place is because that's just what whatever I was feeling that day, especially. And then I think the cabin in Mount Adams when there's like, you're, I'm literally like, I couldn't talk to anybody like a, there's a phone just in case of emergencies. But when you're by yourself for that long and you're just listening to records that inspire you after enough days of isolation, like those like walls you put up of like, this is the type of music that I need to be making quickly go away. And so those trips kind of allowed me to kind of just make whatever I wanted. And by doing that, you kind of spiral into what the project ends up being, which now is kind of how I try to approach music in general, especially with this second Kerrigold record. Like I have no idea what I want the vibe to be, but I know when everyone believes in what we're doing, when we're doing it, that's when it sounds to the best. And I just have this belief that if we continue to do that, then that will be the yeah. vibe, you know, it'll fi- kind of find itself. Seems like a good mentality to know that no one's like really dragging their feet through it or just kind of like there without much interest. Right. In it, you know, that makes sense that you get like the best results out of that. And that comes down to finding the right people. And you know, there, there are some people that, um, I played with that are like the most talented people ever and they're super nice, but just personality wise or whatever with that group, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Which is okay. But yeah, once you like right now, the, the group is, we all just like playing with each other and we all kind and that is like 80% of it. And then you put on the top of it that they're all talented or more talented than I am. It's like the best possible situation for me to be in. <laughs> yeah. You feel like that like really pushes you as an instrumentalist and as a songwriter is that you just like want to impress these people that you like respect so much as well. I want to uh, maybe not so much impress, but I want to give them the foundation to make the best art that we can make. Yeah inspire maybe is a better word than impress (laughs) totally yeah for sure and you know like this band the four of us have only been playing together for almost a year now so it's not that much time but as we build this chemistry it you know it just kind of becomes easier to know what kind of foundation i need to give them in order to like make the best thing we can yeah has the energy of the live show flipped a lot since interchanging some some members as well jason yeah jason definitely I, jack and i were i would say we're really we have we have this chemistry just because playing each other's bands and jack actually played in vanny hands too he was a drummer yeah, for a bit absolutely so very incestual <laughs> so jack and i definitely had this like inner play that was cool that i really liked jason brings this edge and 
uh, improvisation and like uncertainty to the show that I just like absolutely love like seeing videos of of us now especially like at, we played a we did our album release at Ron Thompson August and I just I had no idea what he was doing over there. I wasn't really paying too much attention, but there's like one point where he's like off the stage with his like uh, guitar over top of his head or he like picks up his amp and he's like just, just slamming it against the guitar. Like all these like wild things, like where did this come from? But it's, I mean, it's just fun. So it's, it's definitely changed and we're definitely getting heavier, but it's fun. I think it's, you know, it doesn't, this next record can be heavy. The next one could be softer. It doesn't, it's like kind of just trying to do whatever is the most fun and most inspiring right now, you know, presently. Did you have to sit on the self-titled record for quite a long time? Like, were you waiting to roll this thing out? Just hoping that the COVID shit was going to go away and then it just, just got longer and longer kind of thing. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it was a real, yeah, I set up two singles to release like two weeks after everything shut down. Okay. So, and I was like, should I just release the record? Well, we only played two shows and no social media following. It's like, is that, looking back on it, I, th- I should have just released it because it was really weird to release an album two and a half years later with the band being different. Yeah. I wish I wish I would have released it sooner. Did you still get some sort of like relief of putting it out there or did it feel like too disconnected almost like for you to be super excited about it? I think it was I was excited to release it to finally release it, but I wasn't nervous because it seemed so foreign to me. Yeah. Which is weird. It just was like, that was like a, a time and place and this like magical time and place where we all kind of came together and made this cool record. But it's definitely like, I was like really nervous to release the first two singles. But then when we released the record, I was like, totally like, yeah, sure. Let's get it out. Cause we're already kind of moving on, you know? So I'm sure you're eager to like follow it up quickly then with, uh, these next recordings and where you're at now with the band. Yeah. And I'm, I did during COVID, um, I worked on some songs solo and like hired out, um, like a drummer, Andy from Y Oak to play drums on a couple of songs. And I'm sitting on some singles, but they're groovers and slower. And so I'm trying to just like figure out what the best way to do that is, is it like release a heavy record and then release some slower stuff or vice versa, trying to figure out how I'm going to do that. Yeah. I think that's the nice thing though about like the digital age or like where we're at right now is Mm -hmm. that like you can like release stuff like that, maybe even under the same name and people don't like see it as such a curveball necessarily. It's just like, you can just be like, this is a mixtape or like, Oh, this is this collection of tunes. And like, yeah. Yeah. A good example of that is, um, Jack and I, we did this, we did these 20 song challenges where you write 20 songs in a day. You have 12 hours to do it. We did like three of those, but then we were so inspired by doing that, that we were like, let's just like write and record a song in a day, just one. 
together. And we did that three or four times. And then during COVID, he texted me. He's like, dude, can we just release Pendulum, which is one song that we did. That song is awesome, dude. Thank, thank yeah. you. But we just did that in a day. And I just didn't mix it. And he texted me. He's like, let's just release Pendulum. And you can just like say that it's featuring those Willows because he sings on it. I was like, great. All right. That sounds good. And so that was the third song we released as the project, which is hilarious. Because <laughs> it's such a weird electronic song. And I don't have, we have a couple more of those sitting on my hard drive, but like probably, I don't know if we'll get to them or not. But. <laughs> about like writing exercises like that just it's like uh getting the gunk out uh i think it's i get in my own way a lot i don't i'll like block ideas before i even give them a chance to breathe and doing exercises like that where you have a deadline is eliminates that because you no longer can stop ideas from coming because especially 20 songs in 12 hours it's like you got 40 minutes so even if it sucks you know and we would all listen to the songs together at the end of the night and that was always the best part because you're like you know song 12 it's like oh man this is really when i started the wheels started coming <laughs> off you know <laughs> but yeah that, that that's the biggest thing I would say. Those doing that. Yeah, and maybe not going necessarily as rigid as that, but do you, have you found that it's important to like place creative parameters on yourself when actually like writing songs for a Kerrygold project, or whether it's like in the studio or just putting together the bones of a song? Yeah, for sure. I think deadlines are so important. Actually, to be honest with you, just to like rewind a little bit more into the first record I had no deadlines and it's just kind of like writing and writing and writing going to these cabins and had all these demos and then I met this guy at Ron Tom's Matt Andrews who I think I referenced earlier but he's this incredible session player from New Zealand and he had just moved there like moved here like a week or two prior and had a visa for a year and so we met and talked and like just connected on a lot of, we were basically like right like lockstep in terms of the music that we liked or were listening to at that time. And so I sent him my demos and he's like, dude, these are great. Let's make an album. And that was like the deadline that made Kerrygold even happen in the first place, which is crazy. Like if I didn't go to Ron Thomas that night. Dude, I didn't meet him. I think about like stuff like that a lot, just as far as things happening. It's just like it, like, I don't know. You and I are only in this room together. Cause we both like kept showing up to like pursue our creative endeavors, you know, totally. and just like the little things like that. It's like, Oh, if I didn't 
show up to that one thing i would have never met this person which like sparked all these other like relationships and like maybe you come across these people later on a different timeline but yeah just often those little moments yes totally i mean even stevie our new drummer i met it um I had met him a couple of times, but when we were looking for another drummer, I was at a 40 feet tall show and he came up to me. He's like, Hey, are you looking for a drummer? I was like, yeah. And now he's our drummer. So <laughs> if I didn't go to that show, I don't know, maybe he would have been too busy to ask me that. But, um, yeah. So Matt and I, I mean, the drums on that record are, are incredible. He's just a machine. I don't know how he does it. Um, I got so lucky meeting him before anyone else did. <laughs> so he helped me really take my demos and then like make them songs, like arrangements wise, hooks wise, all of that stuff. He really helped me. And we would get together like once a week for like probably six months, I would say, to like finish the first eight songs from that, from the record. And then that's when I started, we brought in Colin on bass, Colin Robson on bass, who uh, also has a project, Brother vs. Robot, which is great. Former guest of the cast. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's my buddy, my boy. Um, so brought him in and then, uh, yeah, we brought Jack in like two months before we had, we had to record in June because Matt was leaving in the end of July. So we brought Jack in and. Yeah. The funny thing though, is that Jack didn't really know the songs too well and had a lot of anxiety around the whole thing. And even leading up to recording was like, kind of was really nervous. He's like, dude, I don't like, I don't know if I, I don't have parts for these, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, it's okay. Like, how about this? We really just need Matt's drums. And then he's gonna leave unfortunately but at least we'll have like the building box for this record but when we, we tracked live all of the songs and then did overdubs kind of like classic style and we we uh when we when we live tracked the first day jack um we all just turned jack off in our headphones and i told him i was like dude just improvise just do whatever you want um but don't worry about messing like the core of these songs up because we're just not going to listen to you. Like, don't be offended. But like, so he was like isolated in, in this corner and I felt bad because sometimes he'd be like trying to say something, but like, like he had to like knock on the window <laughs> to turn him up. But what was cr absolutely crazy about that though, is the second day we came back to listen to what we had done, we had picked our favorite takes but I hadn't really listened to what Jack was doing too much. And then we were, uh, Sasha Mueller recorded, um, their album, great sound engineer. And he kind of produced a little bit of it too, played some keys on it, but we're just sitting there and all these parts that Jack did were like absolutely incredible. Like, <laughs> I think we maybe overdubbed like one or two parts. Wow. And that, became his parts like he wrote his parts while we just weren't listening to him writing that to day. while you guys were tracking the core of the record yes that's amazing <laughs> i ended up redoing way more of my guitar <laughs> than he did and i was like those are my songs it was hilarious but tone wise everything he just like 
and they all did under pressure. It was like a good learning experience too. Cause it's like, I was getting a little frustrated. Like, Hey man, you need to learn these songs, like write your parts, you know, put yeah. the time in. But then it's like, after that experience, it's like, Oh, there's actually some people that they just need to do it under that sort of environment. Yeah. To write their part. Well, what are like, that's such an efficient use of the time, even though you, maybe you didn't have any idea that you would end up using so much of what he was doing that day mm -hmm. to like, just turn it off in the mix right. where it's not distracting right. to anybody, but he is actually playing to like the live energy of what's being captured there. Totally. And it's just, it's, I, it's kind of this whole spirit of this band or this project is like like you said at the beginning it's something that I have I never really had a plan for it's all just kind of come together like I decided to take time off I decided to write somehow meet this drummer and then he's like let's make an album you know it all just kind of happens and then Jack's parts are such a voice in the album that I didn't even know were going to be there until we actually recorded, you know? And it's just kind of like the whole spirit of it, I think. Yeah. And I know uh, Mel sang on it a bit too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely had her sing on it just because she has such a beautiful yeah. voice. And the two of them together, they just, because they had been doing it for so long, just know how to blend like effortlessly. Yeah. Which and I had to sing harmonies for those willows and they they taught me a lot about they made me a better vocalist too. But yeah, having Mel's voice on it and the harmonies that she picks are just like sometimes so extraordinary, you know, that you wouldn't it's not just like, yeah, let's just put a third on top of this. You know, like she's actually like thinking about like more tension. Um and having things resolved versus just like your typical three-part harmonies. mixed the record and he's worked on so many great records over the years and like worked with so many great bands were you actually able to sit in the room with him while he was mixing or and like were you kind of voicing your opinions about things alongside him or were you just kind of observing um i would say yeah he let me i essentially like just wanted to be a sponge and I just wanted to listen to how he listened to his workflow. Cause I've mixed and produced a little bit, but obviously not to his level. So he let me just be there in the room for 
the three days of mixing I think we did. And there was only a couple of things where I'd be like, maybe we could try this. But most of the time it was just like, wow, I would have never thought to do that. Like in Too Drunk, he distorted the congas um, on this, the breakdown on the bridge. And it sounds so cool, but I, it's something I would just never have thought of to do. He just has all these like cool, like little intricate ideas that like really make certain songs like Sunshine just seem so like, more dense than they did when they originally recorded for sure just stuff you didn't like hear in there or know that it was possible to mm-hmm. make it feel that whole totally yeah and he's just like he's just a sweet guy and very willing like i would i asked him a lot like what are you doing there and he was totally open to just me like willing to share yeah i would just <laughs> be petting his dog and then just be <laughs> asking him questions like, teach me, your, teach me your wisdom, please. Uh, I'm curious maybe to like wrap things up. Like how important was having that year to explore your, your songwriting and your art? Like it sounds like you're kind of, you know, going back and forth between some like part-time and full-time work when need be, like you said, but like what did that year do for you as far as putting things into perspective or like helping you achieve balance maybe when you do have to have some other work involved in your life? I think it, I can, it's a lot easier for me to channel that, um, that space of being creative, like the time constraint, and a routine can be such a killer for creativity when you just should allow yourself to wander and let stuff come in. So being able to like be in that headspace for like essentially like five or six weeks in a year taught me what that feels like. And I never allowed myself to be put in a position to do that. So now yeah, I'm really busy. I play in um, Kyle, old bass player from Those Willows. I play in his project, Pulsa. I play in Vanny Hands, Jason's project, Caragold, and working a part-time gig, um, full-time gig. My time is very is very constrained again. But when I do have that time now, it's easier for me to disconnect from reality for a bit and kind of like channel back into where I was, you know, where I don't have to worry about time being a thing, even if I have two hours, because it doesn't matter if I don't make anything or if I just like twist some knobs and play with a pedal. That's still technically writing, even though I don't have anything to show for it that time. Yeah. And do you enjoy like equally being a part of these these other projects as much as like doing the Kerrigold thing and having different roles within the projects is that like help keep things fresh for you and not get like burnt out on just doing Kerrigold or like just being the guitar player in this band or mm-hmm, totally yeah it helps me it's not first of all it's not as much pressure I can just show up and learn the songs, add stuff if required. Um, but I think what I like about it the most is like when you learn someone's catalog, 
a hundred percent through you can like see where they go or how they how they write their songs and that's really helpful can be helpful for me or inspiring like I really like this aspect of this or this aspect of this and it's something that I can take away from and it's like something that I do by just like learning songs but it's a little bit different when you're actually like in it versus just like learning a bass line to you know a song or something like that yeah and maybe it helps you uh just understand people and communication even more too when you get the opportunity to like watch other people lead their projects and like i don't know i got to imagine that makes you like a more compassionate and understanding person towards the people that are involving themselves in your band oh totally because especially you know in where we're at it's a voluntary thing you know yeah so um yeah for sure and also i would say like the other half of it is that playing in two other bands um exponentially increases my music community so like playing a pulsa gig and then a Kerrygold gig in a week i might have met four new bands Mm. and that's like been the best thing like the music scene right now has has come back so strong with all these like new young talented bands that it's like the more bands I get to play in the more new bands I get to meet and get inspired by and so that's been like the biggest thing overall right now is just like expanding my music community in the same yeah man it's been exciting seeing everything like come back and then like see what projects exist still or like see all these new projects that Mm -hmm. have like stemmed out of the pandemic and all these people that maybe got like locked locked down together that like weren't playing music together necessarily and now they are because they were like just like that was who they had to bounce ideas off of and they're like all these these pandemic projects that have come out yeah totally yeah for sure um, yeah, it was like the opposite for me. I kind of went in, in introspective a bit, but I totally agree. There are some bands that have like started from that, the, especially like certain bands. Like we played with a band, um, Fun Boy like a couple months ago and they just like absolutely blew me away. There's just some bands that we're playing with that we've played with that I'd never heard of before. That's like, Oh my God, that bill is incredible. Like where did all of these bands come yeah, from? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like there's been like a changing of the guard in the scene and it's awesome. Like everyone's yeah. cool and there's just so much talent right now. It's fun to be a part of. For sure. Well, I know this self-titled record, as we mentioned before, you know, these songs are maybe a little old for you, but I'm glad they're they're out and about for people and, and for most people, it is like fresh for them. Sure. And it is like, you know, Kerrygold is, is a new band for a lot of people being that you only got to play a few shows before. So, um, I don't know. I think it's still, it feels exciting and like the record's great and sounds, sounds awesome. And like I said, it's just like very eclectic, but definitely has like through lines and things that like tie it together for sure. I want to play the episode out with Runaway. It's one of my favorite tracks on the record. Deep cut you uh in that in that track you talk about maybe like caring too much a little bit about like what people think and i was uh i was curious what maybe you know what you've learned since like 
writing that song and maybe being removed from it from for like a few years of like what you've learned along the way to maybe combat those feelings or like find the balance in like the counsel that you do want to know like what people care about and their feelings towards things in your life opposed to like you know the things that you don't need to pay attention to yeah that's good that's a really good question yeah especially around the time that i was taking time off that's when like people my age were uh really going for their careers or uh and i felt like i was doing the opposite and i was being judged for it (laughs) even though like that's totally an insecurity no one's judging me for doing what i want to do it's probably the exact opposite i think the older i get the more i realize that it's like it's my life to live and it doesn't really matter what anyone thinks because if I just did what people wanted me to do, I would be miserable. So like, just, I don't have, like, I'm really lucky that I went to school and had got a degree and was able to do that and use it to, to make money. But I also don't have to just do that. I can do both and do it full time or part time and work on, you know, I can like a, perform at a high level at at doing both of those things. So I don't necessarily need to worry about like, Oh, my social status or or how much money I've made or the things I have. For Um, sure, man. The rat race is real. You know, the mentality of it is at least so. No. Well, I, I, yeah, totally. The, uh, (laughs) this, this imagined rat race that we all have, uh, just agreed upon as a society (laughs) that like, this is, This is what life is supposed to be. We all need to be working our asses off and making as much money as possible and having these nice houses and these nice things. It's a collective uh, imagined theory that um, I just don't want to participate in. (laughs) But I kind of have to a little bit just to survive, you know, pay the bills. So it's it's that constant struggle, but not, not worrying about what other people think, which is easier said than done. Absolutely, man. I'm glad you had the opportunity to do that. And I know that it's a, it is a scary thing to do, especially like you said, doing it at the point where you feel like, you know, everybody's working towards like building all this financial stability or like, you know, you're supposed to be like getting deeper into the, the rat race and like working these next steps. And, you know, for me at like, at 35 or 36, I decided to, you know, depart from the rat race and be like, you know what, I'm going to take a year and, uh, try to work on all of my stuff. And like, I think you can feel some, uh, maybe some weird judgment, Totally, you know, that you like project from other people or you just like are genuinely like, maybe the people that are scared for you are also like a little jealous that you're making that move too. And they're just like, Mm -hmm. wait, what? It's just like, yeah, you can actually also do that. And like, obviously people have different circumstances that like, I don't have like children. So I don't have like an obligation and like a financial obligation to someone. So like, I get that, like not everyone can just take a year off or like go explore their passions. But like, I think, I think it's more feasible than some people think to like maybe 
take a break at least and like realize that like all of your work up until then is still like that body of work still exists and you like it doesn't fuck with like your resume to to take a year off you know it was a chosen thing or whatever totally yeah it's just this i don't know it's just we just you know are living on top of generations and each generation it's like this is what it is this is what it is this is what it is and then it takes a I think the reason um I did a little bit later is just for that exact reason where it's like whoa wait a minute I don't have to do that yeah but absolutely I I do think it takes some people are just artists and they just claim that they're artists then they've been artists their entire lives I discovered it pretty late um so it was one of those things that, yeah, it took me a couple of years and then being like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. I have this full-time job. If I just save up money for budget, like cut costs for like two years, I can do this. And it's just what yeah. we planned for it. It's because so. we grew up in the suburbs, Ross. And this, <laughs> yeah. is, what, this is what your, tra- your mind is trained to do. Exactly. <laughs> you grow up and you... You go to college and you get married and you get the house yep. and then you have all of these financial obligations that don't allow you to go chase down your dreams. Exactly. <laughs> They're trying to dim the light on us, Ross. Exactly. <laughs> We're fighting against it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, um, I think we talked off mic a little bit about that this is usually a nice opportunity for me to get to sit down with people who I don't always have the opportunity to um, have long conversations with. So I'm glad that you and I finally got to do this. Cause I know that we have been kind of rubbing shoulders and been in the room, like same rooms for maybe the last four years or so of totally. you know, missing the, you know, the two significant years of, of the, the height of the pandy. But, right. uh, yeah, we've, we've been around each other for a long time. So I'm glad that we got to like talk and have this, this, uh, this time. Me too. Very, uh, yeah, I've had a great time. And I also just appreciate you're the first one to give us a show for Paragold. <laughs> so. I miss that space a lot. And sometimes I dream about having my own space to like give more of those first opportunities or just to get to like throw shows that I think yeah. are cool. But uh, yeah, that was definitely a, a cherished short lived time with it, the, the library situation. But yeah. It was a fun, fun little period. It was a fun, fun space. And and it was my exposure to, you know, this entire circle that you're kind of talking about with veiny hands and getting to know Jack and Mel a little bit more Mm -hmm. in those willows. And yeah, it's just uh, a lot of those people that I I keep up with now are from, from that era of things. So totally, um, I'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can, uh, keep up with all the upcoming shows that you have going on and uh people can find the the self-titled Carigold record on uh all of the things is there uh is there anything you want to mention before before i have you sign us out of this thing um thank you for having me this has been wonderful you're very welcome um i'm not sure when this is coming out but we're playing um our next show is december 3rd at the fixin two and then we're playing on the 11th at Holocene. So if you're in the Portland area and want to come see the live act, those are the times. Do it. Come see Caragold. Um, we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is it's a program. 
and it means absolutely nothing ross it's just a goofy way to end the show my grandfather insists on saying program with a u instead of an a when he's speaking about anything that's on the television love it um so if we could get the uh the Karagold, it's a program we can properly end this thing it's a program he nailed it everybody that's ross from <laughs> Karagold. check out all of the all of the bands that he mentioned today um outside of the the Karagold world and we're gonna play it out with runaway from that self-titled record and that's the jelly jams and we will catch you on the flip side portland or wherever you are listening from cool man we did it we did it
Hey, just want to give a big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their longtime support of this thing. Make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. You can also find the link in my link tree in my Instagram bio. Big thanks to Distro Kid and the other sponsors of the show, Produce Row Cafe and North 45. Stay up, stay tuned.